The Other Side of the News is a current and dynamic companion to augment the discussions from The Other Side of Midnight. We investigate, explore, and extrapolate facts to gain better understanding of current affairs and events, and thus... To bring comfort and calm to our wide international audience. It's a spontaneous commentary... Based on well-verified references vetted through vigilance and discernment. Our desire, desire is to awaken your imagination with questions. Questions that have not been asked, yet need answering. The other side of the news is a place where you can come and be with us in community. Learning new things, asking questions, getting compelling answers, and interesting viewpoints. It's about curiosity. We present thought-provoking questions to incite your mind, propelling you to see the world in another way. Propelling you to see the world in another way clear insights and fresh perspectives on global events. Tune in for a balanced view of the other side of the news. Good morning, good night, and good evening. My name is Timothy Saunders. I'm one of your co-hosts on this 33rd edition of The Other Side of the News. I'm sure Tetrahedral Richard would have something to say about this. I'm speaking to you this morning from southwest Turkey, which for many of you is situated on the other side of the globe. As the dawn chorus begins to warm up here, hopefully many of you are getting ready to count sheep. Lucky for you... There is a great abundance these days. I will soon be joined by co-host and producer Kintia from her San Franciscan wheelhouse, together with co-host and researcher Annette Driscoll, who remains hopeful to escape Ohio's event horizon. This show is entitled Pennies from Heaven. By now, we all should know the COVID-19 virus has not yet been isolated by any established process such as the Cox postulate which should make one question very, very clear. So many people can be so reliably diagnosed. Well, that's not the case. In recent weeks, there have been numerous examples of various documents coming to the surface from many official sources, such as the UK's NHS, that's the National Health Service, that clearly state there is no evidence this cheeky little virus even exists. Don't forget the UK downgraded this virus just prior to the first lockdown. So does it exist? Well, the RT-PCR test seems to think so, or at least those driving it do. This test simply provides a means to sequentially double or amplify human samples and to extract genetic material. What on earth would the minority want that information for? It therefore transpires this test can be used to prove we all have it. Should that be the intention? Almost anyone is negative below 30 doubling cycles, and virtually everyone is negative below 24 cycles. And that's how positive uh, people can be found, or negative, as the case may be, maybe even multiple times a day as Elon Musk recently discovered, because it entirely depends on how many doubling cycles the RT-PCR test has run. 
Therefore, a real positive diagnosis should only be given to people who show symptoms at under 24 cycles. Fauci admitted this, only he says under 35 to 38 cycles or more. In this, sec in this sound excerpt, Keith, please play this. Again, a good question. And what is now sort of uh, evolving into a bit of a standard that if you get a cycle threshold of 35 or more, that the chances of it being replication competent are minuscule. Mm. So that if somebody, and you know, we do, we have patients, and it's very frustrating for the patients as well as for the physicians. Somebody comes in and they repeat their PCR and it's like 37 cycle threshold. But you never, if you almost never can culture virus yeah. from a 37 threshold cycle. So I think if somebody does come in with 37, 38, even 36, you got to say, you know, it's just, it's just dead nucleotides, period. Mm. Yeah, because as you know, we can't easily culture infectious virus. You don't have a BSL-3 lab everywhere. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So is uh, the, the threshold cycle uh, uh, is reporting out a pretty standard practice in doing a diagnosis now rather yeah. than just positive yeah. or negative? Okay, good. Yeah, I mean, if, if, when you go in, when, when I get my test, you know, it's negative. When someone comes in and it's positive, they don't give them the threshold until the, you go back and ask for it. Okay. He says, okay, but you don't actually get the true answer unless you ask for it. That's pretty interesting. That was the voice of Anthony Fauci, patent holder, shareholder, and as we've heard straight from the lips of at least one of our previous guests, a cheat. Speaking of cheating... Has anyone been following the post-selection polling debate? It is quite remarkable what a fuster-cluck this potentially regal event has become. It's worse than a badly scripted movie, only much, much longer. It is incredible how much time and energy is literally being sucked away from anyone who remains interested or frankly cares. It also clearly has to be a major distraction for the government itself. So much so... It's amazing how anyone can get some normal work done, like run the country, for example. On reflection, how long has this selection saga been going on for? Since February. So who has actually been running the country for the last eight months? Ah, the answer is indeed in this question. I very much look forward to hearing our guests' perspective regarding this essential awakening process all with a view to illuminate the best path to lead us to a positive outcome. You may find us at www.theothersideofmidnight.com, click on the other side of the news in the drop-down menu, or kindly scroll down to tonight's white The Other Side of the News show banner. There you will see details for this show, quick links to our bios, as well as links to our show items, references, and selected research. As usual, there is a huge collection of information to read, watch, and listen to, most of which has been hand-picked from independent sources. I urge you to study them and even download your own copies sooner than later, as the censorship robots are working around the clock to rewrite our history in real time. As we positively encourage our listeners to co-create a better future, you will find the call-in telephone number below tonight's banner. If you have a relevant question or perhaps would like to share an important observation, please dial plus one 
if you're outside of North America, followed by 917-889-8802. You will come through to our sound engineer in the control tower, Keith Morgan, who will guide you to an appropriate entry into our conversation. We will take your calls in the last 45 minutes of this two-hour show after we have laid out the foundations of our discussion. During the last seven days, we have seen many remarkable events and headlines reported in the news. To discuss each topic and to present each one in correct context could easily fill up one show by itself. This week marks the advent of the vaccine. TV presenters have literally been whooping and cheering while on air. This shameful fakery has only been augmented by the blatant hard sell by a host of weak Muppet leaders and puppet politicians. What a coincidence this news comes out on the very first trading day, just after the premature election results have been aired by mainstream and social media. Multiple reliable sources provide enough evidence of cheating to fuel this discussion way past the normal inauguration date. Let's hope this will act as a catalyst to positively evolve the system and peacefully. All this so this week, a bill has been proposed to allow 11-year-olds in the United States to decide to accept or reject the COVID-19 vaccination without parental involvement. And if it is deemed their parents would not approve, for example, for religious reasons, or for not following the minority's sacred scientific guidelines, then the vaccine will be omitted from the child's medical record. Now that's interesting. How will this be tracked then? Ah, maybe with nanochips, possibly. The lockdowns continue to spread over Europe. However, an ever-growing number of people continue to defy them. There have been innumerable videos posted this week from crowded parks, shopping malls, and at regular demonstrations. In the UK, amid a one-week-old lockdown, it has been decided the army will be called in to test everyone multiple times in Liverpool. To what possible end? And some genius politician, surely an oxymoron, or more likely the normal variety, has suggested those that work at home should pay extra tax. I cannot imagine this guy will be well greeted when he is next spotted in public. Lastly, Dr. Vernon Coleman, an eminent and experienced doctor, best-selling author, TV presenter, researcher, and vehement activist against all things pandemic, published a free book last Monday entitled Proof That Masks Do More Harm Than Good, which is validated by 100 references. Now, by Wednesday, the book was removed from the online publisher, and that's the second book he has had censored in the last few months. Just in case you would like to gain a copy, we provide a download link below tonight's banner. In the absence of copious American activists, I do ask the question, how far does your perception of reality need to be stretched before you will get up and actually do something about it? Give you a second for that one to drop in. Despite the initial unpleasant realization of the truth, you will see there is light at the end of the tunnel. There is an increasing number of respected journalists, writers, politicians, doctors, lawyers, influencers, and activists who are wide awake and are already making great impact. All they require from you is to unplug from the mainstream and social media propaganda, to make your own independent research, and to stop acquiescing 
and stand up for what you believe in with respect to others. Tanya Gore, our guest, is such an individual, and I look forward to her joining us shortly. Good evening, Gintia. Good evening, Aneta. Have you been recounting anything this week? I have. This is Aneta. Uh, I am still in Ohio, and uh, well, so far this week, my dad has tested positive for the, uh, hmm, what, what should we call it? Um, I don't know. I can't call it the virus because it doesn't exist. Uh, but anyway, he's, he's in a nursing home. I've, I've been uh, dealing with that and not being able to have any contact. And he, he has the, the dreaded uh, thing anyway. Um, and uh, also my stepfather's daughter-in-law was diagnosed today. So uh, that's, you know, a lot of that going on. I, I would suspect that the, the number of sequences that that test has gone through has been enormous to get those kind of numbers. I've been in and out of six hospitals this week and have, I, I could probably fill the show with all of the encounters that I had with all of the different people when I wouldn't put a mask on. But I will sum it up with saying that it was a completely inconsistent policy all the way through. And if you look at it from a medical point of view, none of it made any sense. And which isn't surprising knowing what we know, but it was, it was so absurd. Um, and I, when I asked these people about it, they would just look at me dumbfounded. They absolutely had no idea. And I could also tell that they really hadn't encountered anyone who had, had opposed what they're saying, which is really, really sad. So that's kind of it from, from this side. I, I could go on and on, but you get the gist of it. So I'm going to leave it there. Kintia. Well, hello, hello, hello. It's Kintia. And I'm glad to be actually on the air because I've had computer glitches and they are resolving. So glad to be here. It's misty in the Bay Area. And I've not spent any time outdoors to see what's happening with people, except that I, everyone that I happen to hear from, it's in this kind of panic tone. I find the energy very curious that way. I want to find out why, why, why is it that the Canadians are much more active than we are? here in this country in terms of their rights, or are they? So that's a question. With us tonight, we have a couple really wonderful guests. One is Darlene Undy, and she's going to be sharing some activities of rallies that are happening in Canada and around the world. And then our uh, guest tonight, Tanya Gah, is the founder of Action for Canada. Uh, let me bring on Darlene. Darlene has a drive for excellence. Known as the go-to person, her talents as executive coordinator for two global CEOs supported her in working with women all over the world to yield a revenue of over a million dollars. Currently, she is working to bring awareness to the world as an activist. She participates and facilitates freedom rallies where Canadians gather to defend their sovereign rights. Darlene is a magnet for high vibration people. One might call her an intuitive connector. Not only does she have a knack for bringing together collaborations of like minds, she also is adept in tracking 
the details of production to make sure events achieve their goals. And I just want to say that I want to thank you, Darlene, because you have brought a lot of wonderful guests to the other side of the news as an intuitive connector. (laughs) So, Darlene, welcome to the other side of the news. Well, thank you, Kinthea, and it is my honor and pleasure, of course, always to be here. And I do want to bring to this uh, this platform, this essence of higher consciousness beings all over the world, um, information uh, from Canada. And so I wanted to share with you uh, a couple of people that I am very directly connected with. Uh, there's so much to share what's happening in Canada. I'm, I'm currently in Kelowna, British Columbia, Canada. Um, I recently connected with my mother who is living in a very rural uh, area of Manitoba where they've had 24-hour lockdown and that is something we want to speak to the viewers in the very near future. But let me just share with you, first of all, a few of the people that I am speaking with directly and uh, Ted Koontz, who is the founder and president of Vaccine Choice Canada, who has been a guest on this program, the radio program, The Other Side of the News. Uh, He asked me to share this vital information as well as a couple other people. Um, So this is verbatim that I'm sharing this with all of you. He says, we have launched a billboard campaign in BC that is getting lots of attention. The owner of the billboard company and Vaccine Choice Canada have received hundreds of messages of support, lots of media attention, all of it negative. But it's getting our message out to the world, Some somehow asking questions about the effectiveness of the COVID measures is deemed unacceptable. Clearly, the media does not support our rights to free speech. Rocco Galati is networking with an international team of lawyers to develop a global legal strategy. There are lawyers in six countries who are using our statement of claim as the basis for a legal challenge in their country. We are also collaborating with the medical doctors and other medical professionals who have responded with support to the open letter to BC's Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Bonnie Henry from BC. Uh, Dr. Stephen Malthouse um, had something to say with her. So freedom rallies are taking place in more and more communities and citizens are getting uh, or attending in spite of the threats of fines from governments. People are waking up and standing up. The cabal is getting more and more afraid as evidenced by their increasing tyranny. Our job is to stand up, declare our sovereignty, assert our rights and stay positive. So that is a direct message from Ted Koontz of Vaccine Choice Canada. I also had the pleasure of connecting with a gorgeous goddess by the name of Danielle Pastelli out of Vancouver, British Columbia, who her official title is called the Freedom Rally Global Coordinator. So what Danielle is doing is gathering all peoples that are holding rallies globally to come to this one place to let us know of rallies that are happening so that we can put them on a calendar So we call ourselves the Freedom Rally family. So um, what has been created is a calendar of events for the month. And so what Danielle wanted me to share is that on Sunday, 
November 15th is that No New Normal is having an event at the Vancouver Art, Rally, Art Gallery. Saturday, November 21st, Langley Colossus Theatre, 12.30 p.m. Pacific. There's a car rally that starts, so um, Hugs Over Masks is having an event, and we're encouraging people to bring Canadian flags and whatever they can to let people know that we are out there encouraging people to declare their sovereignty and rights of freedom. Um, no new normal every 1 to 3 p.m. Uh, Pacific on Sundays is gathering at the Vancouver Art Gallery till the end of 2020 and they're going to have a different flavor of theme every week. Then on Saturday, December 5th, they're going to have what's called a Freedom Rally Family Event. So the theme is about Christmas because what we're finding is that uh, the powers that be out there are trying to shut us down and so they're going to cheer in the streets, have Christmas festivities, they're going to do uh, fundraising for the food bank, etc. So we're encouraging people to come down for that. And then on Thursday, December 31st, they're going to have dancing in the streets at the Vancouver Art Gallery. They're going to have things like the Kids' Corner. So that's going to go from 8 p.m. Pacific to 12.30 a.m. And more details are to be revealed. So what we're wanting people to recognize is that for further information, any country or organization wishing to be a part of the Freedom Rally family is to contact Danielle Pistelli at dannyfreedom at gmail.com. So that is Danny, D-A-N-I, freedomrally at gmail.com. Then what I'd like to let people know is that I also represent an incredible human being called David Lindsay, who represents CLEAR, and that is the Common Law Education and Rights Initiative. And Every Saturday, he holds rallies at the Stewart Park in downtown uh, Kelowna, British Columbia. And he's also going to be having an event November 29th. For people wanting further information, Kinthea and uh, team, they can certainly reach out to me. And what I want to let people know is that uh, the uh, incredible woman that you're about to hear from on tonight's program, Tanya Gaw, uh, I'm representing as well for an organization called Action for Canada. So that's Action with the number four, Canada. And I'm involved in a group called Boots in the Ground. She will potentially speak to this more this evening. But this is a uh, group of individuals who are gathering together to go into businesses to let them know how much we love and support them, to keep them in business, and we're letting them know of our rights and freedoms. So Tanya may speak more to that. But I wanted to let all of you know that much is happening in Canada, and we look forward to sharing more. So I wanted to turn the uh, program back to Kinthea. Thank you so much. Thank you for that wonderful update, Darlene. Really appreciate it. It's, it's inspiring to see what the Canadians are doing. It really is. So let's see here. We are close to the bottom of the hour, but we have time. I'd like to introduce the guest for tonight. It's Tanya Ga and uh, Momentito here. This is my first time having the opportunity to talk with Tanya, and I'm looking forward to it. She has been so um, easy to work with while I've been working on getting this computer working again. 
Tanya Ga is a committed Christian and defender of faith, family, and freedom. She was born and raised in Canada. Tanya's parents were immigrants from England and the Netherlands. They were very grateful to live in Canada, and they instilled in her a deep love for her nation. She has two adult children, a son, 27, and a daughter, 25. Tanya is the founder of Action for Canada, a grassroots, not-for-profit organization committed to upholding the Canadian Constitution and the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. Her greatest mission is to declare that Canada is founded on Judeo-Christian principles, which were inherited through our British Commonwealth, embedded in the Magna Carta, forming our laws and our values. It is a system of governance that sets us apart from totalitarianism, extremist and communist regimes. And because of it, we have the freedom to believe or not to believe without fear of persecution and even death. The foundation of democratic governments are under attack because of tyrannical forces that cannot reign where the rule of law and democracy exists. So, Tanya, it seems quite a leap from being a parent and raising children to jumping in such an active role in the public eye. And I'm so curious about your journey. What got you into this? Well, hi, Cynthia. It's it's so just such a pleasure to be here tonight. I find this is such a good opportunity because I'm really looking forward to the thought-provoking uh, conversation. And the reason is in order to help people, you know, uh, reboot their common sense and to begin to think critically. And when I started this journey, it was about five years ago. We can pretty much say it was the day, day that Justin Trudeau took office. And I was fearful coming up to that election because I had a very good idea of what this man was going to do to this nation. And uh, with great regret, you know, um, I, I was correct. And so with two kids coming out of high school, one of the big things um, at the time was the legalization of recreational marijuana. And for years prior to that, the government had been, the Liberal government had been undermining um, our laws in Canada regarding the legalization of marijuana. They had become very lenient. They made it very difficult for our law enforcement to uphold the laws surrounding this being an illegal drug. I'd been looking into what was going on in Colorado and some of the states in the U.S. and the effect that it was having on the youth. And it, it just, um, it enraged me in a way that caused me to begin to become active. And, you know, we understand that there are those who benefit from medical marijuana. But when you're, put, when you're lower in the age range for kids, this government is very intent, along with the help of the U.N., to dumb down our society because then they're easier to control. And so I had created a petition, my first ever. I had about 12 people on my email list. <laughs> uh, like I say, I, you know, I was always, I always voted. I always did my civic duty, but I was not politically active. I was uh, a single mom for many, many years, uh, and I, I remained that way. So I raised my kids on my own. And I was very involved in helping in the school, helping out in the community, the elderly. So I was involved, but just in a much different way. And it became very necessary, you know, that I found to become active in a way that was actually engaging with government. Uh, 
because our problem has been that the silent or sorry that the that these minority groups have been lobbying 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 government and they have funds behind them and these small percentage of people have been able to vastly change the way that our countries both yours and ours have been run and I looked at it, my, my uncle, I just adore him. He would always say the squeaky wheel gets the attention, and he was right. And so I thought, it's time to get squeaky. <laughs> and so I started to write letters and do research, and I would send them out to my dozen friends and say, oh, my goodness, do you see what's happening? And they say, Tammy, those are great letters, but I, I don't have time to write that letter or do the research. And I say, that's okay, sign mine. And I would provide them with all the MPs' addresses. I would coach them on what to do. And sure enough, they would go ahead and sign them. And so that process, yes? Let's pick that that thought up on the other side of the break. Oh, certainly. You're, You're doing just great. Really appreciate how you moved forward on that. You're listening to the other side of the news. We shall return. This is Dr. Carrie Made on the other side of the news. And I'm excited to be here because we have freedom of speech and no censorship. ago that says am I being selfish and I said absolutely but I'm not doing this for me I'm doing this for my grandchildren and my grandchildren's children I see the loss of rights and freedoms I've lived long enough to know what's happened here and I cannot stand back and simply comply I'm going to resist those measures with everything that I have uh, emotionally psychologically physically legally I cannot allow our rights and freedoms to be taken from us. We have to stand up for them. This is where I say that we have to become adults. We have to stand up for our rights and freedoms. We can't ask for them. We have to demand that they be honored and respected. To me, the masking is part of the strategy of totalitarian tiptoe. We just keep encroaching on you, and it's just a little bit worse than it was yesterday. And most people don't see it, but we see it. And that's why this program and the work that you guys are doing is so important. This is Ted Kunz from Vaccine Choice Canada. I just want to reach out and express my gratitude to other side of the news for all that you guys are doing to empower humanity and bring us to a higher state of consciousness. Uh, The time that we shared together was a real pleasure, rich conversation. 
And I know that all of you are uh, higher conscious beings who are uh, part of the solution. I just want to express my gratitude to Kinthea, Timothy, and Aneta, and your program, The Other Side of the News. You guys are great. Good evening. And welcome back <laughs> to The Other Side of the News. Tonight's show is Pennies from Heaven. Our guest is Tanya Ga and Darlene Undy. And Tanya, you were just sharing with us how the awareness, as a parent, you felt compelled to, to not be silent and to keep going forward. And so you wrote this letter. Yes, yes. So I'll just, I'll kind of wrap that up. It just leads into how Action for Canada came to be. And so it was because of the legalization of marijuana, concern for the teenage kids, knowing that this government wasn't doing anything to make our society better. It had a, a global agenda. And I saw it five years ago. And as they started to pass one legislation after another, Bill C-16, you know, giving biological men the ability to come into women's private spaces, uh, Motion M-103, uh, you know, putting at risk Canadians uh, from the Islamization of our nation, um, you know, not talking about the moderate-day Muslim, we're talking about the radicals uh, coming in and changing the core values. And so these things were growing concerns. And, you know, the UN's footprint has been on everything. Then we lead into COVID-19, and immediately at the beginning of the year, I knew something else was afoot. And having followed, you know, all of the other legislation that was being rapidly passed, and it didn't matter how many Canadians. So that's what led to the legalization. I started writing these letters, people started signing them, and it just became a thing. It became the call to action campaign, and uh, that turned into Action for Canada. So we were doing letter writing campaigns, rallies, petitions. And it came to a point where we saw very clearly that it didn't matter how much we asked this government, it didn't matter if a million Canadians wrote to this government, they would override any opinion in order to pass this agenda. And, um, you know, the Global Compact on Migration in 2018, a great concern. Uh, in three days, I had a petition I'd created. There was 11,000 signatures. Uh, still with this uh, backlash, the government refused, no matter what it was going to do to our society or the future of this nation, pouring millions of billions of dollars into the global bank system, into what they say, uh, you know, as far as uh, third world countries. None of us could say that the third world countries are in any better shape than they were. Matter of fact, they're in worse shape than they were before the Liberal government in Canada took place. I look at the UN as a, um, a, a threat against our nation. They are a foreign enemy. And I've said for a long time, Canada needs to pull out of the UN. And this has just proven more and more so over time. They are interfering with our democracy and they are a threat. And everything that's happening here with COVID-19 is, is a parkour with, you know, the agenda that they're putting out. And uh, so that's what led us into as well, moving into a legal action. That's a very powerful place to be in, to get that realization and to start taking action and getting it to be a global initiative. 
In, indeed. And, you know, what I see is that, you know, having started this five years ago, and of course, with uh, the UN had launched the Comprehensive Sexual Education Program, and they had mandated that all member nations implement this program, which is to sexualize children at the earliest age possible into every member state's education resource. And that was the next step that got me very much involved in 2016 with a small group of ladies here in BC. And we started, it was called uh, SOGI123, Sexual Orientation and Gender Identity. And this really increased my activism, but it also uh, increased my contacts, not only in BC, but across the nation, because other parents in other provinces were being affected by this. But it was only a small handful of people that knew about it, because of course, the media weren't reporting on it. They were um, launching these programs as if they were an anti-bullying program. And we know that something that the left use, uses very effectively is to use victimization in order to advance their agenda. So SOGI123 comes in, anti-bullying program. It's all about the gay and lesbian uh, community and these poor kids that are either gay or lesbian in school and, uh, you know, they're bullied and they're picked on. And this is, this is how it was presented in BC. And the problem is with this is that both of my kids, who are wonderful, fantastic kids, were going through uh, elementary school for my son, high school for my daughter, and both of them went through periods of extreme bullying to the point where my daughter, we needed to actually get the police involved because of what these two individual girls, uh, they were immigrants to Canada, uh, they were living with their aunt, they'd obviously gone through difficult times, but they had targeted my daughter. And, you know, it was extremely concerning. Now, neither of my kids are gay and lesbian. Being bullied and picked on is a part of society. So the LGBTQ community have sort of felt that they've cornered the market on victimization. I know people that have been raped. I know that people, uh, you know, who have been physically abused in their homes. Um, you know, I know kids with anorexia in school who have suffered uh, different types of abuse. We aren't going around having parades for anorexia and teaching the kids in school how to be anorexic. So why are we indoctrinating our kids with this very, very dangerous and vile sexual ed program that um, elevates transgenderism and LGBTQ to the point where now we have a social contagion going on in, uh, in the level of our youth and the teenage girls who there's a, like a 4,000% increase on kids now who are confused about their gender. So there's so Tanya. many different things going on. Yes. Tanya, good evening. Timothy oh. speaking. Hi. I'm just aware that we have many, many subjects to talk about this evening. And I want to just go back before uh, we go too far forwards. I wanted to ask your opinion about the legalization of marijuana, about that subject, because I see that it drew you into uh, becoming an activist yourself. May I just ask you, the, your, historically speaking, I was, I was researching a little bit about you for this week, and I noticed that your parents are... English and Dutch. Is that, is that correct? That's correct. Yeah. And uh, having lived in Holland myself for some seven years or something, obviously I'm, I'm very aware of how society is today uh, since marijuana was decriminalized or, or in some extent recreationally legalized in 1976, I think it was. May I ask when your 
parents left Holland or is the connection fresh with, with Nederland? No, my mum had immigrated here, I believe, when she was 14 years old. She's going to be 80 tomorrow. <laughs> and my dad was around the same time. I was, I was just curious because I, I've, I've watched you in action on video, of course, but uh, and I can see that you know you have a very well polished and uh, you know your your beliefs are, are very strong. You're very passionate about what you believe in. However, I wonder if maybe you've made your speeches so many times. I'm not not being critical here, but so many times that perhaps you would gloss over some of the details. And for example. In terms of marijuana legalization of marijuana, where do you actually stand and why? Because I think it's a very relevant point because some states, the United States, are also softening rules with this regard or already have. Right. Where do you stand? What, what are the reasonings behind? Uh, well, uh, I'm citing Holland. I'm citing some of the states in the United States. In Canada, I was there a couple of years ago or so, and I was there, I think, the week after it became decriminalized or, or the, the rules were softened once more. And I... I was amazed. I just came out of a meeting and my client was rolling up a joint. And I thought, what the hell are you doing? It's, it's, we're just having a meeting. And yes. <laughs> I was the employee and he was the client. So I, I was a little bit confused by how the passion had overrun people to suddenly, uh, you know, jump out of a meeting, roll up a joint and smoke it before they go to lunch. It was it just confounded me. Right. And, you know, I see that the overall effect, uh, you know, from what I'm viewing has been negative for Canada. I see for our youth, it has has been also, uh, you know, they were the liberals were campaigning on a promise to legalize marijuana, to put it into the hands of our youth because they lowered the age range. And yet at the same time, they, everything they do, they contradict themselves. They speak and they do the exact opposite. And so this was supposed to protect our kids. And it was supposed to lower the crime rate and get the, uh, you know, do something about the criminals. Well, that's increased in Canada. I know that I live in Surrey and we have, uh, unfortunately, uh, for the South Asian population, uh, there's a very high immigration rate of South Asians in the Surrey area, Surrey Newton Delta. And the reason I say that is that uh, because of our poor immigration policies, people are no longer coming to Canada with the idea that they've got to learn the language and integrate and assimilate. So many of the South Asians are choosing to put their kids in uh, Sikh schools. Uh, so they get into the public school system in kindergarten and grade one, and they're struggling with English. Uh, English as a second, a second language, ESL classes uh, have increased immensely. Uh, the kids that can't speak English um, are held back in their reading, in their learning, and overall, it holds back the classrooms. These kids then get into uh, high school, and they're at a lower learning rate because uh, they didn't get the best start possible. I am putting this all together uh, because we have a real problem in Surrey with the Asian and South Asian youth gangs. This is not a coincidence. We had a thousand South Asians a year and a half ago, adults, show up at City Hall appealing to them for more police. But nobody is willing to talk about what the problem is. It's easier for these kids to go and deal drugs than it is to go and get a job at McDonald's than, you know, or find some other way that they could better themselves and uh, have a more productive life. 
So our crime rate has gone up. But if anybody tries to talk about this, you're considered a racist. You're, you know, there, there's, it's just hard to have an honest conversation, even when you care about the situation and you see how it is destroying our society. And, you know, people want to say this is not a gateway drug. Well, I don't know if you've heard about what's going on in BC, but so far this year, I believe it's over 1,300 deaths due to opioid, the opioid crisis. So there's big problems here. Since the Liberals have come into government, this country has gone downhill rapidly, and the legalization of, of drugs, they want to go to all drugs as well, prostitution and the rest of it. Um, yeah, it's, it's the depravity of society. I think that it was at Sweden who has uh, the strictest um, rules on drugs, and they actually have, from my understanding and my research, the greatest success in, in their fight against drugs and uh, the higher standard for their youth. Well, I think each country deals with, you say, these sort of, what can I say, vices in, in, in different ways. I mean, if you look at Switzerland, for example, I think one would think Switzerland, stable, you know, conservative, uh, more right than left, I guess. But they also have legalized prostitution. So I think a lot of it has to do with the culture itself. And clearly, you know, with your experience in, in where you are, it is also to do with an immigration rule. To go back to the marijuana issue itself, what what is your? I understand that you're saying that this is the bullet that gets put into the gun, not literally, but to fuel another problem. However, do you see in the short time? I mean, it is a relative short time that I think uh, marijuana has been decriminalized or legalized in Canada. Do you think that it has a chance to work through yet? I mean, I mean, for example. I'm asking you lots of questions. <laughs> uh, no, that's okay. No, no, I don't see it is. And no. I see that in the couple of years that this has been legalized, that crime rate has gone up. We have, of course, a, a, such a high influx of illegal immigrants coming in from the Muslim community. And again, uh, Toronto, uh, Edmonton, Calgary, the crime rate that is associated with marijuana and other drugs is prolific. And uh, just areas of these cities are, you know, it's where people don't want to live anymore. But, but, it's but are you saying that people are attracted to to Canada because of the decriminalization of marijuana? Or is this immigration another issue which is working in tandem to the, the decriminalization? Right. I'm saying it's all working together. It's compounding what we are already having as a problem. Uh, were, were, were the immigration rules relaxed at a similar time to the marijuana or was it just again just compounding because it's two factors coming together it's everything that the liberals are doing uh simultaneously that is leading to a bigger problem uh you know you have a point would the legalization of marijuana have the same impact if we had a country that was actually being governed properly and our immigration was being upheld. Yeah, you know what? It is possible that we would not have the greatest rise in crime that we are seeing associated with the, the drug dealing. But this happens to be the case in Canada. One is not helping the other. The other thing is, is you know, with my son, he had that uh, group of friends that 
were into smoking marijuana. And I 100% can tell you these kids were not achieving their best potential. It is the same reports that are coming out of Colorado. And it's very sad. Um, I have a friend who's uh, in his 40s. And he said to me, he had quit smoking marijuana six months ago. And he says, Tanya, I feel like a different person. It was completely, it was dumbing me down. I wasn't uh, sharp and I wasn't achieving as I as much as I am now. So no, I can I can totally you, understand that. Yeah. By the way, Annette, I'm, I don't mean to hog your uh, question area. If you'd like to jump in anytime, please do. Well, I do want to jump in. <laughs> um, this, hi, hi, Tanya. This is Annette. Actually, I, I've, I've been enjoying this, this conversation, but I'm really kind of interested in, in a lot of some of the other stuff is a more overarching thing with the pandemic that we have and how it's eroding the rights and what's going on. I had posted in my link number one uh, article about the FEMA basically taking over the country that we that I had talked about to my friends and they all thought I was nuts back in 2012. The presidential proclamations that were signed by Obama that basically signed everything over to FEMA in case a state of emergency was declared. In the U.S., the state of emergency was declared, I think it was, I believe it was March 13th. I could be wrong on that. Sometime in March, middle of March. At any rate, I was wondering if there was a similar situation, and if you're not clear on what I'm talking about, I'll go further. Uh, is there a similar situation with the government and basically a coup occurring without us noticing it in Canada? Do you feel that's the case? Well, 100%. Now, I am missing what you're saying about, uh, you're talking about the federal federal emergency management. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Of how going yeah. about this. Right. And so we, we here are calling, yeah, those emergency measures. And um, it's interesting. I, I'd love to talk about the COVID and what's going on here in Canada. I mean, it's one of my main things. It's why, you know, we've, uh, we're commencing this legal action. And on the onset of this, uh, in March, when they began the emergency orders and the lockdowns, there had been two deaths in Canada. So is this the conversation you're wanting to have? Is this what you're referring to? Uh, yeah, any any direction you want to come in from that, because I have a bunch to go over on that. So, right. yes, great. Yeah, th- yeah, this is great. And so I live in B.C. Uh, we have 5.1 million people in B.C. And as of October 9th, we have 245 reported deaths due to covid Now, as we all agree, COVID has not been isolated. Uh, You know, how can we count COVID? How are they doing this? Um, Are those official numbers? And we've all heard of cases where somebody has been in the hospital, a loved one has died, and they have marked COVID on the death certificate. Uh, I have a woman who... uh, that is in BC and uh, her husband had died purely of a heart attack and uh, the nurse comes in and they had marked it uh, COVID on the death certificate. In this moment, while she's there uh, with her mother-in-law and she was so irate, she was demanding that they change it. So 245 deaths, 5.1 million people. And my, my big focus right now um, on society as a whole, because we're saying here and, you know, we're talking about, you know, people need to wake up. And I say, no, they need to wise up. 
They need to use wisdom. They need to use knowledge, understanding, and, and we're helping them do that. And the way that we're targeting this, even with this business campaign, as Darlene had mentioned, the reason we're doing this is because we care about businesses. Approximately 100,000 businesses have had to close their doors permanently in Canada. Millions and millions of Canadians are out of work and reliant on the government. And so as we go into the businesses, we were having a meeting the other day and saying, okay, well, how do we train our volunteer boots on the ground? Um, if somebody says to them, for instance, as an example, you know, we're trying to produce this script to, to assist people. So if someone comes to you, and you guys will probably all be approached with this as well, I'm doing this for, for others. And so my answer to that is, really, are you doing it for the millions of Canadians out of work right now? and can't provide for their families and may lose their homes? Are you doing it for our elderly who are being tr treated worse than criminals, isolated, held back from their families, and many of them are dying alone with nobody to hold their hand? And what about the abuse of our youth? Are you doing it for them where they're being psychologically and physically abused? How can we as a society let this continue? Our young people, I live across from a high school and I watch them come and go all day with masks on. They do not spread COVID, yet they're being told that if they do not sanitize their hands, if they do not wear a mask, they could be responsible for the death of their grandparents. So there's a lot of things that we can do when we're talking to people to spark the common sense, you know, that they've laid aside. And as I say, the government and the media have trained everybody to focus on the anthill, which is the elderly and those with autoimmune deficiencies, which are at risk every year during the flu season, rather than on the mountain of destruction that they are causing for the majority of society. Right. I totally agree. I mean, with that... I saw an interesting thing and disturbing uh, Yelp, which has no dog in this fight. Uh, it's just a, a review thing. I don't really love the site, but they reported that 55% of the businesses that closed for lockdowns are now permanently closed. That's 55%. That's over half right now. Yeah. And I, I suspect that it's much more than that, but those are the ones that have already thrown in the towel and said, that's it. So, you know, the collateral damage is enormous. I actually have, um, I think I put it up there. If I don't, I'll put it up uh, on my links. I have a really fascinating video from a, uh, an Irish gentleman that actually goes through all the numbers, how they're counting them, and what the, the curves are actually doing. And this, quote, virus that's never been isolated, that it's amazing they're making a vaccine for a virus that's never been isolated, isn't it? But, well, uh, you know... Something that they've spent <laughs> decades trying to develop a coronavi coronavirus, and it's been unsuccessful because they haven't come up with one that didn't have severe risks. Mm -hmm. So oh, yes. all of a sudden pull one out of their hat now, right? Oh, yeah, right. Well, I mean, I could go on and on about this, but um, we're coming close to a break, so I, I do want to kind of get a few things in here. But what I was I was actually interested in, in the, um, the, the thing, I do want to come back. We're not going to have time to cover it before break, but... I think about how the government is uh, declaring a state of emergency and all of the things that they're doing in the name of an emergency that are, are completely unconstitutional. I know it's happening in Canada also. And I also wanted to just bring up a little bit about the UN Strong Cities. 
and the funding of that, um, what they are, how they are working, and how they are collaborating with the the BLM and Antifa, the funding, where the, co- right. the funding's coming from. Are you, you, I'm sure you're working around that area. Well, it, absolutely. I mean, and it's not even a matter of taking that on. It's a matter of doing what we can to uh, address the real problem here and go to cut the head off the snake. And so right now, you know, in Canada, the U.S., around the world, our constitutional rights um, are being what they're doing is they're they're passing these bills like Bill 19 in BC. We can talk about after the break, and those bills do not supersede our constitution and our charter rights and freedoms. So we have a God-given right to assemble and uh, the freedom of religion. For for instance, we have the freedom to breathe and the freedom of movement. And so for them to confine us and for them to insist that, you know, they impede our ability to breathe properly, uh, it's just they got to knock it off. This is nonsense. And so if we can empower enough people to say, you have a constitutional right not to wear that mask. And as far as the business is concerned, you could be sued for $35,000 if you deny a person business. We're going to fight this with truth and facts, and we're going to rely on going to the courts with this, and we're going to win. Because this government in BC, the one that we're going to we're targeting, they're going to have to provide us evidence that this lockdown and the destruction of people's businesses and the death and the suicide rate increase was justified by what measures? 245 deaths? That is not a pandemic, people. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Okay, we're really close. I, I'd love to continue on with this, but uh, let's let's kind of wrap it for the this particular part. And then I did want to also mention for our listeners, I did look, and Kinthea has um, the video up on the viral science, the science behind this viral issue. And it's a very, very well done video. It's item number two. I would encourage people to, to look at that. This gentleman did a fantastic job. Richard C. Hoagland here. I'd like you to support The Other Side of Midnight by subscribing to Club 19.5 and thereby joining our unique and growing radio community. Tune in to listen to our fascinating guests, pioneers on the out there edge of science and thought, and gain access to exclusive member benefits. To do this, just visit our website, theothersideofmidnight.com, and click on the Join Club 19.5 link in the navigator bar or in the left-hand column. Membership costs $19.95 per month. That's 33 tetrahedral cents a day. I mean, it's the price of a couple of cups of coffee. As a Club 19.5 member, you'll gain access to this show and literally hundreds of previous shows on hundreds of different topics going back to 2015 that we have done. Our archive shows have the commercials removed and you'll be able to download the MP3 files directly from the 19-point archives if you prefer. To enhance your listener experience, a new The Other Side of Midnight podcast is being added to all show pages, which will allow you to instantly search the show archives of Radio with Pictures 
thus easily accessing the corresponding show. Plus, you can just as quickly access the entire podcast list when you're on the go. I want to personally thank all our Club 19.5 members because without your continuing support, this show would literally not be on the air. Please continue supporting the broadcast that provides you with the most interesting conversation available, talk radio at the cutting edge of science and thought, and if you like what you hear on the other side of midnight, tell your friends and continue growing the show by having them subscribe to Club 19.5 as well, because we need all of you. And when I say we need you, you're the reason we're doing all this. Hoagland, over and out. They are so few. They're in the thousands. We are billions. We are billions of people. So they need technology, very advanced technology, to be able to control us. And that is where AI, 5G, comes in. And then through the vaccine, also get rid of two-thirds of us. So it's like a very, very, very dark agenda they want to play out. But I tell you, the way I see the future, oh my God, fantastic. Or like my mom said, fan-bloody-tastic. Hi, this is Ola Damagod from LightOnConspiracies.com. You know, over the years I've done some 500 to 1,000 international interviews, and I just want to say the other side of the news is one of my favorite shows. So enjoy. Welcome back to the other side of the news. My name is Timothy Saunders. I'm one of your co-hosts together with Annette Driscoll and Kintia. And we also have a wonderful guest, Tanya Gore. We were just talking about uh, a myriad of subjects. And we're just going into the second hour now. Tanya, may I ask your... uh, how you were feeling. I think it was a few weeks ago, you were at a rally and you were talking, just talking about fundraising. And I believe somebody in the, the crowd, a gentleman suddenly just held up some money and, and spontaneously brought it to you. And then which, which led to a whole succession of instantaneous funding. Would you please share how you were feeling on that day? You know, I'm, I've got to say that that's going to go down as one of the best moments in my in my life. And um, as we were saying about what the government was doing, and in, in July I found out about Bill 19 and the corruption going on within the BC government. And I had sent the bill that had just been passed to a constitutional lawyer, and she said uh, she had sent it to colleagues. And she came back saying, this is the most draconian legislation we've ever seen. You guys have to fight this. And so then she told me how much money it would cost for a constitutional challenge. And I was like, okay, I'm an everyday gal. I don't know people with this kind of money, but a few friends had given me some names. And so I called these people up and they either didn't return my call or didn't respond. And I was driving that day to go to this rally and, uh, you know, to announce that Action for Canada uh, with my wonderful directors, Mac Rogerson and, and uh 
and Valerie Price, and we decided that we were going to do this. So I thought, okay, I'm going to go to this uh, rally. I'll just announce it. I'll just let people know. And I'm standing up there, had a few distractions getting getting up to the mic, and I just begin to say, you know, that we're going to take on this constitutional challenge. And I says, but we can't do this alone. You know, we're going to need help. And this fellow, I couldn't see him because he was behind me, raised, you know, with his hand raised with this cash. And I kind of looked back and I laughed and I didn't really realize in the moment what was going on. And then when I realized he was providing the cash to start to commence this legal action, I started to laugh and, and I received it. And then a couple more people started coming up the steps towards me. And we said, oh, get, grab a hat. We should pass a hat. Well, this flood of people came. There was thousands of people there that day, up, up 2,500, somewhere along there. And all of a sudden it was like, oh my goodness, we need a box. <laughs> so somebody grabbed a cardboard box and uh, this flood of people just came and so generously gave a little girl walked up to me with like three five dollar bills in her hand and tears I started to cry and we I came home that that evening with uh, nearly fourteen thousand dollars on a random act of kindness and what that told me is what it is that we were on the right track and that Canadians would absolutely support us to the point of whatever we needed to make sure that we could commence this legal action. And it was the most heartwarming moment, and uh, it really solidified the direction we were going. That's an incredible event. I, I can still feel the energy in your voice now. And <laughs> it, it's, uh, you know, it just shows the power of an idea, a thought, a word, an idea, and yes. people resonate and instantaneously a result came, a positive result came. That's incredible. I wish that uh, this, this energy would flow to many more people around the world, which, which kind of leads me to the, the next subject I'd like, like to dig into. And that is, we've, we've, we're a relatively young radio show and we've only been doing this for a few months since what, beginning of April, something along those lines, it's the 33rd show. And we've learned a lot along the way uh, about radio, about uh, many things actually, but mainly about the cause, what we're most interested in, and that is the pursuit of truth. And uh, one of the key points that we keep coming up against is how to bring wisdom, as you say, awareness. So how can we awaken people to just see you know smell the coffee we use all these analogies but smell the coffee and see the horizon whatever it is how can we get people to do this what has been your technique to to just transfer that idea to inspire other people to you know not acquiesce to shake off the chains to to just say no i'm not going to do this i'm not going to wear a mask i'm not going to harm myself when <laughs> clearly there's no evidence to support it. You know, what have you been using as your key technique, may I ask? Well, I would first say, you know, that courage is contagious. And when you've got courageous people that are standing up, others will follow. Because there are those, it's, it's been an evolving and an unfolding of the truth, right? And about two and a half years ago, as a Christian, I was sort of on my belly before the Lord, and I was saying, holy smokes, like... The left is so good, um, you know, at presenting and marketing their ideas. And I was like, how do we do the same? And it was like, God just touched my heart. And he says, you're going to slice through those lies with truth. 
and you're going to keep speaking that truth. And at the moment, at the time, about five years ago, mine was to say that, you know, Canada is a Christian nation. And people would turn to me and they'd say, oh, no, even Christian people would say, oh, no, no, it's a secular nation, Tanya. You know, you do that, you're going to turn people off. And I'm like, well, no, there's going to come a day when people are going to need to realize what this means to our nations, the, the U.S. included, any Commonwealth nation, uh, you know, even us born from our British Commonwealth, uh, you know, Christian, Judeo-Christian uh, principles and the Magna Carta were formed through our British Commonwealth. And as Kanthea had said in the beginning, this is what sets us apart from totalitarian extremist regimes. So once you start speaking a truth that people can understand that, if, for instance, in this scenario, if you go to any other country under a different system of belief, you are pretty well guaranteed there's oppression, totalitarian governments, the people are not free, they, they don't have a democracy. It is the Western nations who have this freedom and democracy, but what's it built on? Well, it's built on biblical Christian values. Now, that means that you can be an atheist, if you like, and you can live here, and you can be free to do that. But the system of governance is what we've got to recognize is worth defending with all our might. And so when people, uh, I was saying at a speech recently, uh, it kind of came to me that, okay, so they say we're no longer a Christian nation, we're a secular nation. And if you've heard Justin Trudeau not long after coming into office, he turned around and said, Canada is not a secular nation. We're a post-national state with no core identity. It's like, okay, a, a state with no core identity, that's interesting. But when you got a state with no identity, that's impossibility. you got to fill it with something. And so he's filling it with communism. So I say to people, would you rather live under tyranny, under communism, under fascism, or would you rather live under a system that works, which happens to be nations that were built on Judeo-Christian values and a rule of law? And that's a no-brainer for me. But that's just the facts and the truth of the matter, right? Well, it is. It is. I can understand your, your point of view. But equally, you know, I'm, I'm speaking to you this morning from, from Turkey, and that is most definitely not a Christian uh, nation. It's not an, em an empire. There we go. It's not a nation or a, a culture based on Christianity. However, you know, for example, the certain members in the Bible are recognized in the Quran. So, you know, there's obviously synergy here and there's obviously resonance. And uh, I have to say, personally, I, I'm much more of somebody who believes that the origins of all of the current religions are much older and uh, they've been passed down and they've evolved and uh, or devolved in certain ways over time. That would be my, my take on it. Um, but I understand what you're saying, and we have spoken about how law is, in some cases, based on the Bible, uh, the King James Bible and so on. We've talked about the importance of how the name the, uh, in capital letters, and is it your uh, administrative name or is it your personal human being name, uh, which is also based on biblical law, if you like, or law derived out of the Bible. So I, I do hear and respect what you say. Um, I'm just sharing a little bit of my, my, my feeling on it as well. Yeah, um, and, and, you know, and I'm interested in your view as well, because knowing that you're in Saudi Arabia, if we look at the UN having, having put... I'm certainly not in Saudi Arabia. <laughs> sorry, sorry. Bro. I think I would have had my head cut off by now. But... <laughs> <laughs> my apologies, right. 
Um, yeah, I'm in it, Turkey. It, yeah, Turkey if, is uh, very, very much more westernized than uh, than Saudi Arabia. Exactly. But I also have some friends in Saudi Arabia, and uh, they seem to enjoy it there as well. So, right. uh, but, but back to you. Yeah, sorry, but sorry for the, uh, the misplacement there. Um, but if we were to look at the UN, right? Um, in, uh, my point was about Saudi Arabia is they put them as one of the head of the Human Rights Commission, yet they've got some of the greatest human rights abuses going on. Uh, you know, so where where do we look where, for instance, Christians or non-Muslims can live in these nations and live without fear? Um, it seems to be you know, a rising report around the world where the Islamists are entering that, um, you know, the fear also rises, but also uh, the threat. And as we have seen that, you know, we have a lot of progressive or moderate Muslims move to Canada to flee those types of countries because of the threat that even they're under, under for being more moderate. But what we're finding is in every nation now that where the moderate and the progressive Muslims come, the the radicals show up and that they have the power and they have the money to bring the change uh, and not for the good. So how do we how do we balance this? How does Canada defend our Christian roots? And what was working for us, we had freedom. We we didn't have beheadings. We didn't have the oppression that we're seeing in uh, many of the Islamic nations. So how do we protect Canada from this if we can't if we can't recognize this as a truth for us? Tanya, I have to say that personally, I believe that to to you know, qualify one group of people as a religion against another group of people with a religion is, is not, not the right way to go, in my opinion. Well, I, I understand what you're saying, and I understand the roots, and I understand technically what you're saying is correct. Canada may well have been founded on a Christian uh, foundation. I, 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 too, respect and hear that. However, but I, I think through time, there have been great migrations of people. I mean, one could say, what about in the time of the Crusades? I mean, all of these Europe, you know, North... Uh, Europeans were were making their way to the Holy Land, and uh, look what they did. They brought you know chaos, and they were killing people, and they had their own police system, their own money system. I mean, just imagine if you were a fly in the wall then. It was, Today that- we see a different migration. I think what we need to do is zoom out, look at the big picture from high altitude, and say who is controlling these people, who is allowing this migration, and what to what end is it happening? Why were all these Syrians pushed out of Syria through Europe? into Germany, for example. I think Angela Merkel could answer a few of these questions. I think that's an interesting point. Well, it is, right? And I, and I agree with that. But if we were to go back to the Crusades, it, you know, the mistake that's made is that we talk about the Crusades, but we don't talk about what led up to that. You know, we don't talk about how uh, the Islamists were coming in and raiding countries and taking them over for, what was it, six, 600 years or something, or 400 years prior to that. So, you know, we, we have to be very careful with our history to be accurate, um, you know, when, when we point these things out. And I'd also agree that it isn't one religion against another. There's a political element uh, in Islam, Sharia law, which is what they come into Western nations and uh, they implement and so rather than integrating and assimilating and respecting the country that they're, they're moving into, like if I was to move to Turkey or another nation, I would certainly move there and because I wanted to embrace that culture. I would not come there with the intent to change it. 
And what is happening in the Western nations is these individuals are moving in with the specific motive to change the law and the system. You know what's very interesting, Tanya, is that Christianity technically began in Turkey, uh, Emperor Constantine. Mm -hmm. That's very interesting. So what I'm trying to say is I, I think that the higher altitude view is, I mean, is the important thing. Who is controlling and who is using these names, who is using these groups to, you know, like sort of, I'm just like picturing the, the sort of quintessential Hollywood movie from, I don't know, what, 60s or whatever, 70s maybe, where you have a group of gods, you know, like uh, Greek gods, small g, uh, looking around uh, the cloud, looking through a hole in the clouds and sort of manipulating people, mankind in the Petri dish below. Petri dish I, I, below. I, I, do I, you have I, the feeling that there is something along these lines? And I think those, those people, uh, if they are indeed people, are controlling the United Nations. The United Nations controls the WHO. The WHO controls the governments and so on. There's a whole succession of command here. Yes. And I think what we need to do is to get to what's controlling it as opposed to the people on the ground who happen to be Islamic or Christian or whichever other belief system they wish to follow. Yes, and, and I 100% agree with you, and especially the influx, what happened in Europe and uh, with Angela Merkel, 100%, uh, you know, that there were um, uh, actors that are going on in the background here who are pulling these strings, and, you know, even with the global compact on migration and the sustainable development goals, right? The UN and the globalist elites, they want to erase borders. And the thing, what they're doing is by, like my heart goes out to the people throughout the Middle Eastern countries and wherever these wars are being uh, commenced, there's no peace there for them. They long for their countries. I, I had a family here, you know, that uh, the Hussein family, they had fled uh, through through Turkey. Uh, they had, had uh, been in tents there for a while before coming to Canada. And they had like five children. I got in contact with them. I was bringing them food and uh, clothing and loving on them and supporting them. And they didn't want to leave. You know, he owned a shoe shop and they were very happy. And these people would long to go home. And you're 100% right. We got to find these disruptors, hold them accountable and, and put a stop to this. And as I was saying earlier, Justin Trudeau has been pouring billions of dollars outside of this country that we do not have. We're not taking care of our elderly or our veterans. He's actually saying, you know, what the veterans are asking is too much and they just don't have that. While he's pouring this money into, say, $600 million for abortions in Africa, they don't want abortions. They want medical care. They want help. And so where has all of this money gone? I say that this has been the greatest heist in the history of the world of these globalist elite who are absolutely destroying the economies in nations. And this money is pouring, whether it's into the foreign central banks, this is going into one big bank account. And even with the... Um, the vaccine, it's said to make something like $3 trillion in one year. Is, isn't that worth allowing people to die and not provide them hydroxychloroquine? Uh, isn't it worth allowing, you know, this chaos in the world for these crazy world leaders? I mean, this, these, these are sociopaths that we're dealing with. So nothing is beyond limit to what they will do to make this happen. Tanya, no, I, this is, oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I... 
I totally agree with what you're saying, Tanya, but I also think it's not about money. I think that uh, we're obviously looking, we're on the brink of this global reset. Right. I think it's about power and control because I think the people who already are bringing these uh, vaccinations in for, you know, these, excuse me, but bullshit numbers and bullshit reasons, uh, they're bringing them in uh, not to gain dollars because they already have a lot of dollars. I think what they're looking to do is to gain power and to control over the, the people. So where is that going and why would be my question? And that's over to you. So I've already been wearing a hole in the carpet here. <laughs> that's all right. Actually, I, you kind of just said some of what I was going to say. I was going to talk about that whole thing with vaccines. I don't think it's a matter of, I mean, they, yes, they'll make money on the vaccines, but the vaccines are, are deadly. I mean, clearly we know many of the patents of, of the things that they are putting inside these vaccines. If you're interested, we have a number of shows you can go back to that have all that documentation. And, you know, these vaccines aren't about helping us. Uh, they, they're about, you know, offing us. This is, this is what this is. So this is a control thing. And when we talk about groups uh, and funding, uh, yes, we know that these, there's all kinds of things going on. They don't care about uh, elderly whatsoever. I have a father right now who has uh, Alzheimer's. He's in a nursing home. I'm across the country to come see him, and they won't let me near him. And, and, and three days ago, they told me now he's tested positive for the, uh, the, the phantom virus. Yes. So, uh, and it breaks my heart. I have to look at my father through a glass window and talk to him on a phone. And I've, I've traveled across the country to see him. So this is very personal. It's very horrible. His health has gone straight downhill since my stepmother dumped him in there. And I don't have, I don't have the power to get him out. So, you know, this is happening on a mass scale mm -hmm. everywhere. This isn't about, uh, I don't think it's, I mean, the money thing is just that that's kind of, when we talk about money, I think we need to really look at where the trails of money are leading to, who they're leading from and where they're going to. And that gives you a big clue on how to look at this and see what's really happening. Uh, then you can see how all these things are connected, how the UN is connected, uh, how the, how um, there's funding. I, I wish I had put up, uh, maybe I can put it up later, a link, uh, funding, how the funding's connected between the political parties and the Black Lives Matter and Antifa and, and all these different funding things that are super destructive, the connections back, their ancient connections back to really, really draconian uh, measures and very, very evil dark groups, they haven't changed. The, these, these leopards are not changing their spots. They're just changing their labels. And so, you know, the, the I think... When you talk about um, vaccines, for example, we have to look at, you know, where, where the funding is coming from, where it's going to, but what the real agendas are, like Timothy was saying. So what do you, where are you on that as far as, um, you know, that the whole thing with the, the vaccines and do you think the eugenics thing is a credible idea, what they're trying to do? 
Well, I, I, first of all, I totally sympathize with you, uh, you know, about your dad. And I'm just so sad. I know my mom's going to be 80 tomorrow, and I'm very grateful she lives with me. She doesn't need the care of medications and things that I wouldn't be capable of doing in my home like many people are experiencing. I met a woman on Sunday who may be one of our plaintiffs, you know, because she's going through the exact same thing with you. Her mom is in a government facility. They can't access her. She has the onset of dementia. And if you go to my webpage, under the calls to action about uh, five weeks ago I launched when I said um, human contact is essential and it was a call to action I sent out and there was a video in there of exactly this scenario and you know when we were talking about earlier what am I doing to um, to get people to change their direction um, we have said that the left uses victimization and they count on using people's emotions to manipulate them into uh, whatever agenda they've got and they're very clever about the way they've done it but to me they've become completely transparent and if we can help others see that transparency and we can genuinely tap into the emotions of uh, citizens around the world and say stop for a minute and breathe and actually take a look what's going on right now and see what the greater destruction is. Don't think that this is about, you know, the elderly people or, or small people and you wearing a mask or you isolating yourself is going to help. So that's that's definitely one thing. I agree with you that this isn't just about money and that this isn't just about, you know, the, the vaccine. If we look at what this platform with COVID is doing, and I'm so in a way so grateful for it because for Four and a half years, you know, myself and these small groups of people across the country were pounding the pavement and trying to get people to show up to write a letter or help. And you know what? It just wasn't personal to them. You know, their child wasn't in school and being indoctrinated into a SOGI program. The government took control of a child in BC and now against the father's will has been putting testosterone into her system. She was 14 years old, 15 when they started this. She's grown a beard and she's becoming sterilized right in front of him. So that's one agenda for population control. And that's why this LGBTQ trans agenda is not about loving on and accepting gay and lesbian community because the gay and lesbian community are opposed to this. And, and we've got allies within the gay and lesbian community saying this is wrong, you know, what they're doing. Then we've got the climate change, again, indoctrinating our kids in school, turning them on their parents, causing dissension. How could you do this to our world, mom and dad? And um, you know what? Don't you dare think about having beef. You know, and men, apparently, you know, uh, their ability to uh, produce goes down if, if they're not um, having beef. And, uh, you know, there's no coincidence to anything that they're doing on a global kind of scale, on multifaceted, to reduce uh, the population. We've even had signs here in Vancouver, and they were just horrible. They were, they're promoting one child. You think you're living in communist China. And it's mm -hmm. so subliminal. This yeah, is a, we've, we've yeah. seen these in San Francisco, too, just for the right. record. Yeah. Right. I mean, everything is, 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 is being planned and staged, even George Floyd's death. Um, you know, when I was watching this unfold, I was just saying, oh, yeah, I, I can only imagine what they're going to do with this. And, you know, and then this chaos. And as you say, you know, you think that BLM, if anybody thinks that BLM showed up overnight, it's like, give your head a shake. This was very strategic. 
It's been very well funded. And as they've admitted, you know, they're a Marxist group. And the moment, I don't know if you guys saw that in uh, several months back, here is Justin Trudeau. All of a sudden the BL movement, BLM movement takes off, um, you know, pretty instantly. And of course, Justin Trudeau, he loves to walk that catwalk and get attention on whatever political issue he has that he possibly can. And so he takes, he goes out to a BLM. uh, Tanya, we're going to hit that break time. I just want (laughs) to... (laughs) <laughs> we've had a little counter here <laughs> ah, yeah uh, so no we'll, we'll pick up on the Trudeau on the other side here and uh, this is the other side of the news and the show is Pennies from Heaven and our guest is Tanya Gah. Hi, I'm David Kevin Lindsay from Canada, and I would urge everybody to be able to support the other side of the news. With the news media all over the world essentially promoting the government narrative on virtually every issue out there, everybody needs an alternative source of accurate, truthful information. And the other side of the news provides that information, that source of information from a variety of speakers all over the world with personal knowledge and experience that they can share with everybody in over 160 countries that they're involved and that they go to, to show everybody in the world what they are doing to support and encourage everybody else to also stand up for freedom issues throughout the world. I would urge everybody on a regular basis to listen and support the other side of the news. The other side of midnight.com. Talk radio with pictures on demand. Liberate your hyperdimensional time scale and non-linearly access over 400 hours of conversation at the cutting edge of science and thought. Join Club 19.5 to get access to exclusive content that fits your interests and time schedule. Filter episodes by guest or subject. Membership costs $9.95 a month, 33 cents a day. Talk radio with pictures on demand. The other side of midnight.com. Welcome back to the other side of the news. So right before the break, we were talking about Justin Trudeau. And uh, let's just continue on with where we were. 
Okay, terrific. Thank you. So yeah, I, I just um, was chatting with the fact we were talking about Black Lives Matter and their movement, and how quickly Justin Trudeau, in the middle of a pandemic, where he's telling everybody to stay home and stay safe, he ends up in the middle of this, you know, humongous Black Lives Movement rally, and he takes a knee for the cameras. And to me, I'm sorry, he looks like such an incredible fool. And you know, you, you have to think about that, right? If they're really trying to sell this as this dangerous virus and, uh, you know, that it could quickly kill people, then why would a loving husband and father go to such a rally ex with the potential of exposing himself and then go back home to his family? Well, you, of course. I mean, know, it's it's just ridiculous. I'm, I mean, I was making a joke today about this, this, uh, you know, virus that you have to, you have to amplify it somewhere between uh, 35 and 40 times cycles in this, this test to get a positive test. And you need one of these positive tests to know if you have it because it's so deadly and virulent. I mean, the whole thing's absurd. If anybody would think at all, uh, it's just I, crazy. <laughs> I think another, another interesting point is, do you remember just only a few weeks ago in Berlin, there were reported something like only a few thousand, but in reality, there was something like in excess of 1.5 million people taking to the streets mm -hmm. in this uh, huge rally. I mean, you see the photographs, the drone photographs, helicopter photographs. There's just a sea of people without masks as, as far as the eye could see. And I would have thought, you know, historically speaking, we can then look back and say, well, let's face it, the 1.5 million people plus they all came together without masks on that day. We should see this and colossal spike of uh, infectious uh, cases. And, and uh, but I think if we look at those curves, they're they're just flat, and that's the ridiculous. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah. Right. We see yeah. the increase uh, here in BC. Uh, you know, when we're talking about what's going on in Canada, and we're talking about where I see. The potential where I'm saying, you know, there's money behind this is that back in March, Justin Trudeau, he's got a minority government. So he always needs the support of the NDP or the Quebec uh, party. And it, it's usually generally Jagmeet Singh and the NDP. You know, they, they get in bed together here and they make a deal that feels lovely and warm fuzzies to them both. And they don't give a hoot, you know, about uh, Canadians. And so... In March, he wanted to gain an open checkbook and he wanted to gain all of this power and he ended up getting shut down quite remarkably in the House and we were pleased about that. Um, but now when we see, for instance, with Bill 19 in BC, this was passed very quickly in Ju July by our Premier, John Horgan. And you know, we had we had people who were ready to, you know, Victoria is, is on an island here, so you have to take a ferry to get there. People, as soon as they found out about it, you know, they started writing it. It was tabled at the end of June, and I found out about, uh, about it on July 1st. And, you know, I was already getting a letter ready. I knew that people were taking a ferry. They were going to go to the legislature and give their opinion and give their input. And all of a sudden, uh, they passed it through second and third reading. And as I said, I sent it to a constitutional lawyer and she says, you guys have to challenge this. And it was, um, 
it, it passed in order to give, of course, the, the uh, provincial government sweeping power. It exonerated them from any and all liability associated with any decision they're making regarding their extreme COVID measures. But the most concerning of it all was it gave almost all power to the BC lieutenant governor, who is a federally appointed individual. So Justin Trudeau's office would have appointed this person, which means that the power that he didn't gain in March, he is now working backroom deals with the premiers and gaining power over, over one province at a time. Because Doug Ford, about a week later, passed Bill 195 in Ontario, and it's pretty much verbatim the same bill. And so, of course, Rocco Galati is a top constitutional lawyer. Uh, Ted Koontz, dear friend of mine, of course, they've launched the legal action in Ontario against the Ontario government, the federal government, health officers, um, certain municipal leaders uh, such as uh, John Corey in Ontario, and the CBC News. And uh, so when I heard about that and then heard about our case, I reached out to Rocco right away and I said, would you take on the BC case? We, we have got to challenge this. And of course, they had their statement of claim and everything was set up. And through conversations over, over that period of time, a couple of months, you know, we came to the conclusion that, yes, we're going to do this. And so our case will be very similar. And I'm excited to get this going. And it has been reliant, of course, on, on um, raising these funds. And so when we commenced it two months ago, we've already raised 34% of the funds. That's huge. And, uh, you know, there's going to be some big donors coming. And when we get to 50%, we're going to, uh, you know, be tabling and, and launching our uh, statement of claim. We're going to be uh, listing who those defendants are in BC. And, you know, so there's we're in the midst of that organizing, but I'm very excited to get this going because we still have a rule of law in Canada and there still are good judges here who care about our constitution and the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. And we're going to we're going to rely on that uh, moving forward. Excellent. That's wonderful news, though. Yeah, I mean, it'd be great to sort of just start removing some of the lower cards in this house of cards. Is there a, a donate button or something on your website, Tanya? Is there some yes. way people can fund you online? Yes. If you go to our menu bar under actionforcanada.com, there is a donate button. And I would just be thrilled, you know, uh, if people would support this legal action. And as I say, you know, in Ontario, there's uh, places around the world who are actually rising up and doing these legal challenges. And I think as much as possible, we need to be supporting one another because we know this is a global agenda and every decision that's made, every government that is opposed and that we stand up against is, is going to empower other nations in doing the same. And, uh, you know, as uh, was it Ted that had mentioned in the commercial or uh, Darlene that, you know, yeah, it was Ted in the message that uh, Darlene had read, you know, that uh, Rocco is in touch with other uh, lawyers. And so we have to collaborate We because, you know, this we have to fight for our charter of rights and freedoms. We have to write for our constitutional rights. Our, it, it is so vital. There is no opportunity there should be no reason for us to be staying at home and staying safe. There's nothing safe about staying at home because this is going to have an everlasting consequence to this nation, one which may we may not be able to turn around, around again if we remain silent. I totally agree. I mean, I, we've hit the point where we're at the 
we're at the tipping point around the planet and we, people need to stand up. I wanted to kind of go over that a little bit. I mean, my feeling is, and you can tell me uh, what, how you approach this, when we're talking about trying to get people to start to engage their thinking again and engage their critical thinking mind to connect the dots, um, I have found that the most effective way is to not so much, I mean, I, I love coming at people with facts, but it doesn't go over very well. So I have found that the way to do is to, to state something and then ask a question about it. Like, you know, blah, blah, blah. What do you, you know, have you thought about this or how do you think that works together or something like that? What are you, what is your technique to get people to engage this? And cause obviously you did at that rally or people wouldn't have started donating. So Right. Yeah. And it was, as I said uh, a little earlier, you know, you have to tap into uh, their reasonableness, their emotions, their goodness. Uh, you know, what we're seeing here is that our virtues as a nation in Canada, our goodness, um, you know, our ability to reach out to those who are in need and help. Uh, they're relying on that goodness. They're relying on, you know, that the silence that would perpetuate, you know, that we've got it, that we're doing this for other people. But it's time to question that. We've got to step into that atmosphere with them and say, what is it that you're helping? Could you explain that to me? And, you know, when I said, I'm doing this for others. And when we say, are you really? Are you doing it for the millions of people who are out of work and about to lose their home? You know, and just ask them real questions to tap into that goodness and, and their critical thinking and, and jumpstart it. I, I'm finding that I'm having great success, almost 100% success when I'm talking to somebody wearing a mask and I start asking these questions because I genuinely care about it. Um, I'm getting an extremely good response. I am too. I've been in. I, I've been in six hospitals multiple times, by the way, this past week, and I've had to deal a lot with. Uh, <laughs> I don't know the medical militia. I don't know what they are. Uh, but uh, one of the things I've done is everything from like uh, pointing the temperature gun and explaining to them what that actually physically does. Here they're doing it hundreds of times a day, and they don't know what they're doing to people when they're doing it. Once I explain it to them, they're like, "Oh, really?" And, you know, I don't think, for example, the guy that I talked to today will be pointing it in anybody's head anytime in the near future. He still may have to take their temperature, but you can take it at your neck. You can take it at your wrist. You don't have to point it at your brain, which has a high amount of um, electromagnetic field and doesn't need that pointed at it. Right. It affects it in a negative way. And so I, what I found, you know, when I talked to them, they have to wear surgical masks, they tell me. Really? Well, you know, do you know that there's two, carcin two known carcinogens in that? And are you aware of what that does to people? When you, when you ask them simple things like that, whether it be the whole oh, outlook or just individual little things like that, I find that people are pretty receptive. There's people that are so fearful they can't hear anything. Like, And, you know, I won't call out certain family members, but, yeah, they are. You can't talk to them. Let's just say, uh, I'll be kind. <laughs> it's true. Like some people even just go into sheer panic mode, right? Mm -hmm. And like I say, this has been a very well-organized, uh, strategic uh, assault 
on society as a whole, using the media and the government to send this fear message and to toy with people's minds. And I even think they're actually at they're actually enjoying what they're doing because oh, we. Bonnie Henry in BC as our health officer and I mean we've got to remember too right like she's worked for the WHO and uh, you know she, she has a history with the UN and and so that to me is one of the first red flags we should be considering but when they are encouraging our children to make I love you Bonnie Henry posters to name shoes after her, uh, when this woman is outright lying to our face and she is negligent and people need to file human human rights and with the uh, uh, psychology and uh, what is it, the Surgeon Psychology uh, Association, and they need to file a complaint be, for misconduct. And well, I would she's, say- she's, she's criminally liable. Criminally, mm-hmm. even for malpractice, people say, but she's not- practicing medicine and I'm saying but she's the health officer and she knows hydroxychloroquine with the resormycin and zinc could save many many lives and she's neglecting you know to to make sure that people are well cared for she is neglecting to ensure that uh, essential services uh, surgeries are essential thousands of people are dying because they don't have access to surgery many thousands more are going to die because they were too afraid to visit their doctors and they have cancer so they expect yes. a forty percent spike. So there's there's many things that we could be you know um, doing in in order to help ourselves and help our communities. One major thing is in Canada is like know your charter rights and freedoms. When when it, it's so empowering when I talk to people, they go into a store and was like, yeah, I had to buy a mask for a dollar at Walmart, and you know the hand sanitizer. I says, why are you doing that? There's absolutely no legislation in BC stating that masks are mandatory. There's no legislation. You That's walk right. into these stores and you tell them, no, thank you. Well, don't I have to get an exemption card? No, you don't need an exemption card because you're not being exempt from anything because it's not the law to wear a mask. And even these simple truths uh, you, you know, are, are, are what's missing. We have section six of the, uh, six two of the charter that states that every citizen of Canada has the right to enter, remain in, and lead Canada. And yet our borders are closed. You know, people would go down to the states in Florida, wherever else, for six months of the year. They can't leave Canada. So the point of us getting behind this legal action and me just asking people, please be generous and support us in this, is because one day soon, or very soon, I hope, depending on how swiftly this goes, these people are going to be in court, and they're going to have to show us the evidence, you know, to support what it is that these measures that they're taking. And as I say, Rocco, he is having an impact in Ontario because they're mandating masks here. And since him launching the website, the Ontario government, not that the news is telling anybody in Ontario about it, has actually gone in and changed the mask mandate. And so people don't even know in Ontario that they can actually go without wearing a mask. And because once they ask, anybody asks you in a store or anywhere else for uh, you know proof of why you can't wear a mask, anything, they're violating your privacy rights. And under the charter and uh, provincial law, you're you're protected. In the in the United States, that would be your Fourth Amendment rights. 
Right. So yes, same kind of idea. Yeah, it's so simple. So just think that, you know, the more programs and I'm so grateful to be here today, uh, just to help empower people to know, look up your rights, you have so much more rights than you even know, you could be walking in complete freedom right now. And if everybody walked into Walmart, 90% of us, and you know, we said, we don't need to wear a mask. And if you continue this, I'm going to take legal action against you. What would they do? Well, that's what I've done, and I haven't put a mask on yet, and I've been here for 39 long days, and it's, uh, it's, you know, it's been interesting. I've had some pretty um, nasty encounters, but by and large, most people, when you explain even a little bit to them, they back right down. Mm-hmm. You know, I would encourage people to look. Uh, Black's Law is online. Uh, uh, Black's Law, look up the definition of the legal definition in Black's Law, sixth edition is a wonderful one to reference. Look up what a mandate is versus a statute versus code versus law. Law is, is the Constitution. Codes and statutes are what legislation pass, passes. And a mandate is merely a request, basically. But know, know what the differences are to know what your rights are so you can defend them. Because this is what we need to do. We need to step up. And all around the planet, we need to step up and, and put, you know, stand your square. It's hard if you don't know, but it's not hard once you start. That's the thing. The amount of power and freedom you gain from, from having the kahunas to stand on that square and not back down is, is really, really wonderful. Because, mm. I, I would you know, like to add, yeah. Anetta, that yeah. it's not the power you gain, it's the power you retain. Well, that's right. Difference there, because we are—we all have power. But the point (laughs) is, most people are half asleep and just freely give it away without even being aware. Mm -hmm. Tanya, may I ask your? Because we're coming up to the end of the show, may I ask your view on vaccination and also mandatory vaccination that seems to be on the horizon? What are your views on those, please? Well, the more that I'm learning about this and the more time I spend with uh, Ted, Giselle, Linda from Vaccine Choice Canada, the more we hear from Robert Kennedy Jr. and the more evidence that's coming forward, we can see a tremendous amount of harm is being done by vaccines. Uh, People will want to say snap right away, like, well, what about the polio vaccine? Well, you know, they're not eradicating polio with the polio vaccine. They're causing a lot of harm. And it's it's a matter of just... um, you know, educating ourselves. And in New Brunswick here in Canada, a few months back, this is really where I came to know Ted and Giselle, is that uh, the government was trying to mandate, mandate vaccines for kids. And against the, you know, almost against the parents' wishes, but that they wouldn't be able to receive an education, basically, if they didn't receive a vaccine. And so we did a letter writing campaign and opposed what that government was doing in in, uh, New Brunswick. And, you know, we ended up winning 22 to 20, but that's too small a margin. And I think what's happening, people will say, oh, you know, we've written letters and it's not working and da, da, da. But, but what I'm witnessing is that they're, the more that the silent majority speak out, and I mean speak out boldly, is that we are indeed changing the conversation in government. And this is a must. 
In Canada, because of this, we have MPs speaking on the uh, very controversial issues that we have going on here. We have uh, leaders who are rising up, such as Maxime Bernier, head of the People's Party, and they are now willing to speak out on the issues that are important to us because not just, it isn't a matter of gaining our votes, it is because they're being convicted within their spirit because we've educated them and they say, I support this and I see a need in, uh, in Canada to support uh, what this movement, this grassroots roots movement is doing and we need to push back. And so as far as the vaccines are concerned, I, I believe that, as we all know here, political correctness uh, has been the downfall of our political systems. The social justice uh, political pandering has also contributed because it's only driving us into a socialist uh, society. And the vaccines in the midst of this, uh, the radical LGBTQ agenda, the UN agenda, all of this now is coming to the forefront and so that's why we can be thankful for, uh, if it's one good thing that's come out of COVID, it's made a large percentage of the population uncomfortable enough to wake up and start listening to what we have all been saying, whether for months or for years. And uh, that includes what's going on with the vaccines. Uh, I think the autism and the rate of increase is something that is too obvious to ignore at this point. I totally agree. And we, we've, we've covered that many times previously on this show. And I think we'll agree that the evidence is, is just uh, mountainous um, in relation to what's actually going on. So we have a few minutes to the end of the show. And I would like to commend you on what you've done and what you're doing and would like to ask you how can we and also how can the listeners from this show support you to continue because I, I see that Canada or Canadians are at the cutting edge of changing this if I look at the list of people that uh, who are uh, ahead of the game uh, on top of this who are influencing I look at James Corbett Canadian in Japan I look at uh, Dan Dix uh, also another person. All of these people are being banned from YouTube, by the way, which I think is probably a good sign they're actually on to the right, in the right direction. I look Jeff at Jeff Berwick, Berwick yeah. exactly, in Mexico, Canadian. And all, of course, all of the, uh, the people that you've mentioned and we've had speaking on the show uh, during the breaks this evening as well. So how, how can we make this house of cards fall? I think Canada is at the cutting edge and you're at the sharp end of the cutting edge Tanya, so how can we support you? Well, thank you for asking. Um, you know, I would just just um, appeal to people to uh, assist us with this uh, legal action and to get the word out, even to spread around the world what it is that uh, we're doing both in BC and in Ontario with this, these legal actions. We also have other great organizations like the Justice Centre in, in um, Alberta who are doing great work. And I work with other tremendous organizations who are fighting back uh, against all these kind of things. And I'm just blessed to be able to be, uh, be 
you know, united with them. And because we're uniting, it is, it is creating a force that will, you know, be hard to be reckoned with. And uh, the truth shall set us free. I'm a truth teller. I believe that uh, the truth is going to cut through this like a knife. If we can present the facts and, uh, you know, that people can see these facts and uh, not vary from them, this is going to help move this uh, forward even more rapidly. So I've tried to uh, promote and do whatever I could on the website under COVID-19. I'm still building uh, these sections of my website under the business section in COVID, but I don't want to overwhelm people with information. I want them to have enough few facts that they can educate themselves. And by educating themselves, then they can go out into the public and educate others. And so this is a movement. As we say, it's a grassroots movement. Um, I was just a simple nobody who decided I cannot be silent. And I'm hoping that through uh, my speaking out that I can equip and encourage others to do the same. So like I say, don't, don't be silent. We've got a silent majority there. We need you. Be the squeaky wheel. Uh, if you go to my website as well and you take a look at the, even as simple as the business campaign that we've started. You know, we made a postcard. And that postcard says to business owners, it asks a question, do you know that you could be violating the constitutional rights of your employees and your customers? You know, and another truth that you could be sued up to $35,000. Figure out some way in your community to put something like this together and start and just start visiting with your uh, business owners because very likely they're feeling the same way that you are, but they feel trapped and they've got to be empowered as well. So word of mouth is critical. Get out there and rally. The presence on the streets, it, 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 it's not just for yourself that you go and do that. When I saw what happened in Germ Germany, I felt an incredible amount of joy and hope. And the more people that get on the streets, their presence is a very clear message to the gov government. It's another way of using our voice to say, we don't like you, we oppose you, and we are coming for you. So... That's, that's with, what I would encourage. With that, we're right at the end of the show. So let me repeat this. Uh, the, the website is actionfornumericalforcanada.com, actionfornumericalforcanada.com. So we're right at the end. And thank you so much, Tanya, for coming to this 33rd edition of our show. It's an auspicious number. And uh, let's, uh, uh, let's follow up and, and we'll keep track of what you're doing and we'll continue to report on that, I'm sure, through Darlene. Thank you so much. Well, thank you and thank you so much for the
amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups, it's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.